This is quantization. Hi, we are Arezu Talibzadeh and Kavar Shurinia, and this is our podcast on inclusion. Quantization is an independent project with support of Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University. Welcome to the sixth episode of Quantization. In this episode, which is coming in two parts, our guests are talking about the role of gender in the music industry. For this episode, we have Carly Howell and Vivek Sharia. Hi, my name is Carly Howell, and I'm really honored to be here as a guest host on Quantization. It was Carly, and as you already heard, she is our guest host for this episode. This is season one, called Signal, episode six, personal identity and the music industry. I'm a professional musician, composer, and artist educator. I studied jazz and classical music in university, but in my professional career, I play many styles of music, such as pop, rock, reggae, blues, improvised, and world music. Working with diverse musicians in different genres has influenced me greatly as a player, a composer, and has shaped me personally. The topic of inclusion is one that I connect with on all of these levels. As a female musician, I'm well aware of the barriers that exist in society and in the music industry. As a woman playing the bass, I'm often subjected to a host of assumptions and judgments that people make. As a queer person, these prejudices can be doubled or amplified. Songwriting is a place where I really feel I get to share who I am and tell my own story. But sharing that story can be vulnerable, especially when breaking norms about what gender pronouns I use or the love I sing about. As an educator, I'm constantly thinking about how I can make sure my students are seen and heard for who they are, and to create class environments where they feel safe to collaborate and be creative. I certainly don't have all the answers, and I know my experiences are mine alone, that every person has their own set of privileges and faces barriers based on their unique identity. So it really excites me to dialogue with many different people to find ways we can make the music industry and our communities more accessible and inviting for everyone. I'm so excited to be here in the studio today with Vivek Shreya. Vivek is a Toronto-based artist whose body of work includes several albums, films, and books. She has read and performed internationally at shows, festivals, and post-secondary institutions, including sharing the stage with Tegan and Sarah. She's one half of the music duo Two Attached and just put out a brand new album with the Queer Songbook Orchestra. Welcome, Vivek. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Girl, it's your 
podcast quantization today to talk about gender and music and uh. <laughs> uh, when I was asked to guest host this podcast I um, was thinking about people who would really have an interesting perspective to bring to both of those things and you're a diverse artist you work in a lot of different genres or a lot of different um, sure genres genres mediums, mediums. Yeah, yes sure. and it seems that your art maybe transcends those things and also is formed by that by the worlds that you're working in right and the different mediums that you're working in and i was really struck by the performance that you did uh queer songbook orchestra show during pride thank you so we much we had the pleasure of sharing the stage yeah, together that was so nice so you immediately came to mind as somebody who would have really amazing things to say fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> About the topic and uh, going on your website, I found out so much more about you, which was really incredible. So I'm kind of excited about this conversation that we're going to have today. And I thought maybe it would be nice to just start to ask you, like, how would you describe your identity? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I there's so many labels. <laughs> um, I think that first and foremost, I would identify as an artist. That's probably the identity I'm most attached to. Although sometimes it gets overshadowed by the other the other identities, but I also identify as trans. Uh, I use she and her pronouns. Um, South Asian or brown, Indian, bisexual, queer. These are all sort of like labels or identities that I embody. Thank you, thank you. I think it's always nice to hear, rather than ascribe those course, labels to yeah, people, totally. to really hear what they they like to yeah. identify as. And I love that your first and primary. Identity is. As, an, is as an artist, you know, because that encompasses so much about us. And I think that it encompasses a lot of those ways of being in the world that are about connecting with people and about expressing emotion and love, really um, putting ourselves out in the world. And maybe those are things that also come up for people who work in, in fluid ways in terms of gender or, or sexuality, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think for myself discovering my queerness was very much an extension of who I was as an artist and and who the ways that I wanted to connect with other people you know I think like maybe started for me from a musical place and then became about relationships later on that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah I mean I just came out as trans last year and this album part-time woman which is about gender sort of I think that there's an interesting parallel for me about the desire to want to be seen as female and honor that through that coming out, but then simultaneously really this desire to want to be seen as a musician as well. And Part-Time Woman was definitely an investment in trying to make both of those things happen more clearly, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I echo what you were just saying about the conflation 
of queerness in music for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the album is beautiful. Thank you. We were just speaking about it, and I'm so lucky to have it on vinyl. So yeah, I've been yeah, listening yeah. to it, and it's really stunning. I would recommend it to all of our listeners. So let's let's go back a little bit. Sure, yeah, uh, let's go back in time. And yeah, I just um, am really interested to know more about that connection between your identity and your art making. Understanding, I understand from your writing, uh, from reading some of your writing and also hearing you speak, that maybe it wasn't such an easy process arriving at that identity or that it was, you know, there was a lot involved in, you know, coming to where you are today. And I'm interested to know how art making uh, played a role in that. Like if, if the art making helped you to realize that identity or if it was an outlet for expressing that identity or maybe where those two things kind of intersected. It's complicated. I don't want to give you too long of an answer, but like, I think for me, my turning to music at a young age, like I wrote my first song when I was about 13, it was deeply connected to experiences of homophobia. So my day-to-day experience in junior high and high school was, you know, getting called fag almost every day. Uh, But on Sunday, I would go to my religious organization and there I would sing like these Hindu prayers and there was something about my voice and my devotion and even my gender that in the context of that religious space was actually seen as special. So while my outside life, my school life, I was being chastised for being abnormal within this religious construct because Hindu masculinity is so different than North American masculinity. I was being celebrated. And so music sort of became a way to continue to feel loved. And and I tried to even bring that into junior high and high school. So one of the ways that I made friendships with the popular girls is I would pay attention to what the popular girls were listening to. And then I would go to the library and I would take out those cassettes. You know, we're talking about the 90s here. (laughs) And then I would learn these songs and then I would accidentally sing them around the popular girls and the girls would be like wow you sound just like joey mcintyre do that again and i'd be like please don't go girl and then suddenly i had these new friends and it was in some ways less about friendship and more about protection because again being friends with the popular girls meant that their jock boyfriends or their jock friends um were more inclined to leave me alone or Mm -hmm. i had people to stand up for me so I think for me for sure turning to art especially music um, in both of those environments whether in my religious environment or school was was highly tied to uh, my experiences of homophobia and genderphobia wow that's that's really um interesting that music was like a shield almost mm-hmm. you know like that it, it well gave yeah these alliances exactly in the religious context it made me seem special and in junior high and high school certainly junior high it also did something similar um and it like you said it brought me alliance you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but what's funny sorry is that despite that it's taking me this album and and around like 14 years as a professional musician to write about queerness in music. So, or to talk about music. I mean, I wrote one of my first songs, I used he as a pronoun and like singing about a boy. And at the time I was identifying as a boy, so it could have been classified as a gay song. And I remember the producer I was working with is my first album. He, you know, turned off the the mixer board or whatever. I Sorry, I don't know the technical terms, but he he hit the space bar and he came out and saw me in the vocal booth and he's like, 
are you sure you want to use that pronoun? You know, like this is a, this is a really important moment in your career. You know, is it important for you to sing about this? And I ended up still saying he, but that song ended up not making it on the record. And so even though music was the thing that I turned to um, as a response to homophobia and genderphobia, the music industry didn't feel like a place where I could bring those identities until now. And even now it still feels it's it's less that I feel like there's room for it and more that I I'm I'm old and I'm like, I'm going to do whatever I want now. Right. So, yeah. Anyways. No, that's that's amazing because that was really that was part of my next question. Right. Was like was music an outlet or was it a place to express those ideas? But it sounds like it took a long time to come to that that ability to be able to express those feelings or those, you know, experiences through music. Totally. Was writing for you, was it still an outlet? Was it like this place that you could go to feel better or to um, like work through ideas, even if you couldn't work through them in such a transparent way? Certainly. I mean, writing music, I think that so much of my experience of queerness, certainly in Edmonton, again, in the 80s and 90s, was about isolation and loneliness. And music, even if I wasn't speaking openly about what it, about my queer experience, I think that there is a lot of loneliness and heartbreak in my earlier work that is tied to my experience of queerness and homophobia. So um, I think, yeah, regardless of the content, I think music was definitely an outlet. You're also a writer, Mm -hmm. right? Which Mm -hmm. is a very internal kind of thing or a very, um, that can be a very isolated process or maybe isolated isn't the right word, but at least it's a very introverted kind of practice, right? And as a, as a writer, you don't necessarily have to perform your work, right? It's sometimes you do readings, but it's written on a page and you put it out there and, and then people take it in away from you, right? Mm -hmm. But being a performer, being a musician is very different. And I'm interested to know, just what is it that attracts you to performing or what does that what is the feeling of performing for you and being on stage live in front of people truthfully it's hard for me to draw the line between performance and any of my work because because I'm a performer there always ends up being a performative element to my work so with books even though you're right the creation of it is introverted not unlike the creation of music I end up performing a lot of the things that I write as well. So there isn't a huge distinction, although Mm. I I would love to go on a rant about the differences I've experienced in the music world versus publishing, but maybe another time. You could give us a little taste of it if you wanted. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's, it's been funny. Like, I mean, I started with music and then I ended up transitioning into like multidisciplinary and moving into writing and stuff. And the funny thing about music is that it's one of the only art genres where it's okay for people to talk while engaging in it. So people will spend a lot of money to go to like a Lady Gaga concert or Justin Bieber concert or a Vivek Shreya show. Not a lot of money. $5 cover. But it's totally acceptable to talk during the whole time. Whereas like if you go to an art gallery, you're quiet. You're engaging with the art. If you go to a book reading, oh my God, this is one of the things I love about book readings is that even if you're the most boring reader, 
people will be so attentive. No one will be on their phones. Everyone's just so engaged. So, I mean, there's a kind of respect for literature that I feel like with music is just not really there. So to come back to your question around performing, one of the things like now returning back to music, I find myself really struggling with the stage and being like, why are like I, f- I forgot that it's acceptable. Like I've been so nurtured now by like a nice quiet room where people are really attentive to what you have to say where mm-hmm. now I'm just like, why do I like doing this again? Do I like doing this? Because I've grown so accustomed to a particular kind of performance. So long answer short, I'm I'm trying to figure that out in terms of what I like about performing as a musician. I think that as an artist, one of the reasons why I tend to perform so much is just because I really like making a connection mm-hmm. and Again, this is one of the reasons why I'm questioning (laughs) performance as a musician is because it doesn't often feel like you're making a connection when people are talking. Um, Whereas like as a writer to, you know, to read from your book or to read your poetry for 10 minutes and then, you know, be able to have conversations with people after where they share their story and they talk about the ways they connected. Like it feels like such a gift and such a privilege. And it's also really validating that the things you've written are, are moving and like inspiring and you also learn if the work is working by seeing how people are engaging with it. So I think that's one of the reasons why in general performance appeals to me is just like the act of taking a physical art piece and finding ways to actually open it up further. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I said so much in that answer. No, it's really interesting. <laughs> and actually I can totally relate in the sense that there are times when I would just be super happy at home in my studio, playing my bass, singing my songs, exactly. writing my tunes, just sitting at the piano or whatever, just doing my thing. And that just the practice of creating music is satisfying. Mm-hmm. But yet there is a place that you get to where you want to connect that you want it to connect with other people. You want to feel what you're expressing is something that other people have felt too, you know, or that they're maybe outside of the the details of the scenario, right? When you get to the poetics about it, when you write lyrics or you write poetry, that you're you're moving past those like superficial details that you might talk about over coffee with a friend, like, oh my gosh, this thing happened to me the other day. And you've really gotten to like how it affected you or what that lesson is for you or, you know, how it connects to the world around you. And so you want to connect on that level with people. And, but you're right. Then with music, it can be very tricky (laughs) because you're like pouring your heart out and you're up there and you're in a bar and people are like cheersing and coming in and out. And I know. And the whole time I'm watching people, I'm like, I'm losing them. I'm losing them. I've lost them, you know. And there's like it's interesting, too, because with if you're again to draw a parallel, if you're a writer, you don't have to do banter. You know, like as a musician, it's like you have to entertain, you know, like so the whole introverted songwriter doesn't have the same luxury as the introverted writer. The introverted writer can come up and literally have a book in front of their face and people will be like, wow, stunning. But like the introverted singer, you don't get to be introverted singer, you know, like unless you're cat power and it's your shtick and people have like bought into that. I I, I don't know. I remember like sitting on the toilet at like Holy Joe's. Do you remember Holy Joe's? Yeah. Yeah. And like practicing my banter before I went on stage and just being like, okay, these are my talking points. These are the things I'm going to talk about because like I wasn't one of those people that could just like come up with it on the spot. But it just to me, it just seemed like such a strange thing to like not only have to worry about the music and wanting to, you know, sing well and deliver, but also the whole time you're worried about like holding people's attention in a way when people have 
ostensibly paid to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's complicated because you, yeah, you have to do that banter. But then if you go on for too long, then you also you might, lose might lose people. them. Exactly. Like I'm doing that right now with my long <laughs> answers. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. We're, you're here just to banter today. So gender also is arguably (laughs) a performance, you know, in the sense that there's, of course, like the things that we feel innately inside of us. And then there's that way that we present ourselves to the world, the world, you know, if the world is our stage, that every day when we walk out the door, that we were choosing how we want people to perceive us in the same way that we're maybe choosing those stories that we tell or thinking about like, oh, how am I going to play this song? And being on stage is such an interesting thing because people are looking at you. There's this very like, you know, people are taking you in in a lot of ways. And as a a female performer, I have often really struggled with that because it's this very complex thing where I don't want to be stared at all the time. You know, you feel sometimes marginalized and very under a certain gaze, like out in out in the world. And then you go up on stage and it's exactly what you're asked to be. And yet you're also up there by your own choice and you're asking everybody to look at you. And then, you know, I often am like, well, do I want to dress up for this show or do like would I rather just wear jeans and a T-shirt or, you know, do I want to present myself in this way? And, you know, also and maybe a struggle with what the industry kind of expects of you as that person on stage. And so I'm interested to know what that's been like for you. And also maybe part of that question, this long-winded question that I'm asking, is that you said you just came out as trans last year, which was your 35th birthday. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And But you you did perform with a a masculine identity for many years. So I'm really interested to know how that feels for you in terms of being in front of people presenting yourself in that way and maybe if you feel perceived in certain ways. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, your question makes me think a lot about like, so when I first started making electronic music or um, like dance music, essentially. um, So this was in 2007. It was this really frustrating moment because even though I was making dance music, there still felt like a lot of pressure to be masculine because you didn't want to alienate the male listener, you know? So, um, I was briefly signed to a label and, you know, they would go through my photos and be like, this isn't masculine enough. And I would have like a full beard. And I like I presented very, very, very masculine, like hyper masculine. And it was funny that it never felt like it was enough. And it was also bizarre that like it was like it's dance music, like let's relax here. But I think it was such a strange time with gender, too. Like I I'm so heartened to see artists like um, Perfume Genius who like are able to be very queer in their music. And I certainly didn't feel like that was an option for me at the time because there was so much pressure to perform masculinity. And so even, and so part of what that meant too was like needing to play a lot of instruments. Like now if I play dance music, I just played a track. It doesn't matter. But like so much of masculinity is about proving that. You, and like, I think this, I think a lot of women feel this too, where it's like, I, I must prove that I'm as good as one of the guys. So I'm going to have, so like if you saw my dance setup back then, so 10 years ago, it was like, I'd have a synth here and a guitar here and the track here and I was literally surrounded and then I made sure that when I danced it was very stiff and it was really about like must show I am 
musician by playing many instruments must show that I am masculine so I don't alienate male-like people in audience. And it was exhausting. It was really, really, really tiring. Now it's funny, like on the opposite side, it's the day-to-day that feels more of a performance than the stage. So the stage in a lot of ways feels like one of the only places where I can be authentic. Mm. I can wear makeup. I can wear a dress. Like for the Tegan and Sarah tour, I literally wore like this like short little like sequin blue like like bodysuit thing, which like I wish I could wear every day, <laughs> but I can't. And the, and the truth is like, and that's one of the hard things I think about that like a lot of trans artists experience is that like the stage ends up being one of the only places where we know for the most part we're going to be treated respectfully, mm-hmm. um, where we can express our whole identity without worrying about any kind of violence. Um, if I were to dress the way I dress on stage, um, like, you know, down Young Street, like I wouldn't feel safe and so i think what's what becomes more challenging is the ways then that transness gets conflated with performance right uh, so right. like yeah like because you know i just i just did an interview with someone who was like i was on your instagram and you know how do you decide if you're gonna dress like a boy one day or dress like a woman one day and i was like well i'm not choosing to dress like a man or dress like a woman uh, mostly my choices in the morning are thinking about safety and it's like how much do i feel like i want to present the way i would like to present and yet worry the whole time about yeah safety so i mean i don't want to repeat myself but i think that i think that yeah so the challenge becomes like transness being conflated with performance and that transness becomes limited to the stage it's like Mm -hmm. i would love to Mm -hmm. be and express who i am outside of that environment i don't want it to be relegated to just performing to just the stage and often it doesn't feel like i have a lot of opportunity to do that unless i'm willing to take a risk that i often don't feel like taking right yeah that's it's very interesting because it i mean you're reminding me of the privilege that I have of making those choices in my everyday life. Totally. Uh, that if if I want to wear a dress or if I want to wear, you know, jeans, that I'm not being judged for those choices in the same way. I'm, maybe there's judgment there, you know, just in terms of like. The but way your that... womanhood is not like. I mean, respectfully, I don't think of that course. like like people. Even if you're wearing jeans and a shirt, they might say like she's slob, like sloppy or something. But you're still a she. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing is like for me, the moment I step off the stage and I choose to dress like this, mm-hmm. I'm not a she. Uh-huh. I'm a, I'm a he, and I'm I'm pretending I'm a fraud, um, and that feels hard, right? Of course, yeah. But you're bringing up a lot of great points, too, about the ways that we uh, you use the word respect, you know, um, but also the flexibility that we have when it comes to gender in the performing arts or even in times of celebration. You know, if you think about I've spent a lot of time in Brazil and in Carnival. Of course. Yeah. You know, everybody, all the men are cross-dressing. <laughs> it's course. the thing to do. And everybody's having so much fun and it's this whole thing. But, you know, come like Monday morning when the party's over, if you're still the guy wearing the miniskirt, you're totally going to be subjected to, yeah, a really dangerous, you know, set of scenarios or situations. So it begs the question, why are we 
so comfortable accepting people in this in this way when they're on stage or when they're performing or when there is this um, entertainment aspect. But we can't just see it as something that is like this beautiful way of being in the world, regardless of whether you're on stage or not. Well, and that's the thing. Like, that's my concern is like, you know, that ultimately transness is seen as entertainment. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. so it's it's OK when it's on stage because it's not real. Right. But as soon as you're off stage, it's like disturbing, uh-huh. you know, because it wasn't supposed to be real. <laughs> yeah. And by me choosing not to perform hyper femininity offstage in some ways I validate that right I by not choosing to walk around in the sequence outfit that I'd like to wear I'm in some ways saying that I, I worry that I'm perpetuating this idea of transness as performance right but at the same time if as we were saying like for me if my womanhood can be expressed in jeans and a t-shirt when I'm walking down the street or in like an evening gown, if I'm playing on stage, then you should be allowed to express in the same way. You shouldn't have to wear a dress on a, you know, Tuesday morning or when I'm going to the grocery store, or like <laughs> you know, to be perceived as feminine. Sure. Yeah. So maybe the fact that you have those, those different arenas is inviting this idea that like this is one way that you could be trans or one way that you could choose to present, you know, just the same way as any of these other performers are getting dressed up and going on stage and wearing makeup or, you know, wearing high heels or whatever that is that you put on when you go on stage to be in that performative arena. But we don't wear, you know, those those outfits or those those um, same present presentations in you know absolutely daily life right so maybe there's there's a lot more authenticity there than i mean i hope so i feel really lucky to live in a time where i think that there you know increasingly more and more kinds of transness Mm -hmm. that and i feel like the more i'm inclined to live my truth by not wearing lipstick when i go to the grocery store not and sometimes again it's not even about safety sometimes it's just lazy you know i remember when i first transitioned i felt so guilty anytime i didn't wear makeup and i had a a woman friend who's cisgender say to me do you know how often i don't want to wear makeup and it was such a relief to be like oh right of course like lots of women I know don't like cisgender or trans don't necessarily want to wear makeup all the time and that should be fine you know so I think that my hope is that like by continuing to exist in the world in a way that feels manageable for me creates more room for transness to be more complicated from the ideas that like it's sort of seen in right now It's bringing up, I'm thinking of lyrics of your song, right? I'm thinking right, of Part-Time, part-time Woman. Woman yeah. And that song is really powerful and very speaks very transparently about some of these things that totally. we're talking about right now, right? Like, I don't shave. I don't wear makeup. What does it make me? <laughs> uh-huh. Does that make me a part-time woman? And I think that that's brilliant because me listening to those lyrics, I was like, wow, I mean, those are all things that I can identify of course, with. Yeah, of but course. nobody would ever call me that. Nobody would ever say, oh, you're just a part-time woman. So I think that you're speaking about trans issues 
and issues that are kind of like, you know, coming up for you personally in your experience. But I think it's actually really amazing how that maybe relates to the female experience of course, of for, course, for of course. cisgendered women as well who don't want femininity to just be about those things. Of course. Yeah. No. And I mean, that's the hope of the album. Like, obviously, like I'm writing from my perspective, but the hope is that like it transcends, you know, like my own experience and certainly that song I mean I know a lot of you know brown girls who don't want to shave all the time you know like shave their legs when they go out and you know and I do think while I think the difference between a lot of like cisgender and transgender experiences is that like transgender people often like if we don't submit to these rules our femininity is like absolutely taken away from us Mm -hmm. I, I do think that like you know hairy brown girls still like do face a kind of and hairy cisgender brown girls i mean still do face a kind of like policing around their gender that they're not being like woman enough so that and that's this idea of part-time woman is like well who gets to call themselves full-time you know like what like how many high notes do i have to reach right like those are like some of the lyrics in the song and it's like trying to sort of like it's interesting because my concern was that people were gonna think that the album title suggested that I identify as a part-time woman. I don't. It's more just, it's how I feel, right? It's like, I I feel like I never add up. And I think, unfortunately, that's actually quite a universal experience for a lot of women, where most women, for whatever reason, whether it's hair or body weight or jeans, whatever it is, never feel like we are woman enough. And that's sort of what, like, part-time women's trying to expose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has it brought up interesting conversations for you with with audience members like are now that you've put out this album it speaks a lot more transparently to that experience are there are there conversations that you feel that you're having with audience members that you might not have had before or, or you know reactions that you're getting from people that are opening up conversations i mean i i think i'm just sort of like genuinely heartened by how receptive people are to you know even just your response being like that's something that like I really connect to like I think for me this was the first time I wrote an album where I was quote-unquote political and by political I meant talking about you know social issues that I care about and it felt like a scary thing to do right like I've I've never done that before. And so for me, mostly I've just felt really heartened by by the response. Um, I think, yeah, I've had a couple responses where people are like, so as a part-time woman, do you feel blah, blah, blah? And it's required a little bit of like, for me, part-time woman is like, it's meant to be almost sarcastic, right? It's right. not like, it's not, I don't, I'm not like celebrating a part-time woman movement. I, I mean, certainly if people... And I have seen some people who have embraced that. They're like, I'm definitely a part-time woman. I'm like, awesome, own that. But for me, it's like, for me, part-time woman's more like a commentary. Mm-hmm. So those have been some of the more nuanced conversations that have been had where I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I am, you know, part-time. I'm just saying that I feel that that's how I'm seen or read. Right. Well, I think it's interesting, too. It's making me think about ways that we conflate gender and sexual identity 100%. you know because if you are a woman who doesn't shave their legs then people are like oh she's a lesbian right yeah. and that's not true for a lot of women either totally. you know and so these immediate ways that we perceive people are and even just the way that people perceive that song title you know totally. and, and you're right that maybe 
for cisgendered women who feel very trapped by that identity to get to be a part-time woman is like a (laughs) freeing, liberating experience, you know? Like, yeah, what would I be the other half of the time, (laughs) right? Or what are these confines of womanhood that I would like to break out of? Sure, yeah. Right? But then if that is something that you're trying to come into, that you don't want it to be this part-time experience or something that you're constantly needing to reassert mm-hmm. or that you need to prove through these standard like markers of that, totally. that gender identity. Totally. It was the first part of Vivek and Carly talk. Please come back for the second part. In this episode, we used two songs from Vivek, which she kindly shared with us and permitted to use. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information, please check our website, quantization.ca. We want to thank all who support us. And a special thank to Marshall Bureau, who composed all the scores for quantization. I don't shave. I don't want makeup. No skirts. I don't dress up. What does that make me? Doesn't make me a part-time woman How many high notes do you have to reach? How many hours do you have to bleed? Oh, will I always be a part-time woman? Podcast.